Ladies and gentlemen, sports fans alike, welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky's Sports Talk Chicago. One of the couple, two, three best podcasts around. So sit back, grab yourself a cold one and a pole of sausage, park your keister in the front room, and listen to Bill Swirsky's Sports Talk Chicago. In Chicago, you know that all sports rock. The Bears, Hawks, Bulls, Cubs, and Sox. Pick your favorite, you can choose as long as the... Packers lose for everything you need to know. It's Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. This is your host, Alex. Our brave leader Sean couldn't be with us tonight, so you're stuck with just me this week. But we have plenty to talk about. We have a disaster class in the city of Detroit. We have some Bulls. We have some Hawks. We have some Cubs and White Sox. So stick around. We have a lot to talk about. But before we go any further, I would like to thank our sponsor, the Rockford Ice Hogs. If you're not familiar with the Rockford Ice Hogs, they're the AHL minor league affiliate of your Chicago Blackhawks. What does that mean for you? You get to see the stars of tomorrow today at family-friendly affordable prices. We are right in the middle of the AHL season. The Ice Hogs are pushing for the playoffs. Get yourself a hat, shirt, jersey, tickets, and more. Tell them Swirsky Sports sent you. All right, so let's just get right into it. That game in Detroit for the Chicago Bears absolutely sucked. This was, in my opinion, the worst Bears game of the season. And we've seen a few bad ones. I mean, when you're a three-win team and you're probably not going to win another game, there's bound to be some bad ones. But consider the fact that this team has played really hard against some worthy opponents. You saw how they played against the Miami Dolphins. You saw how hard they played against the Eagles, the team that is favored to win the Super Bowl right now. Even in the first half of the Bills game, they fought hard. You had some ugly losses like the Commander's loss and the Packers' loss in Green Bay. But this, this was not a loss that you look at a lot of positives. It's just not. It was ugly. You lose 41-10 to to the Lions. The Lions are now 8-8, and and they are looking to possibly squeak into the playoffs. So... The Lions are not your father's Lions, the crappy, pathetic joke. They're a team that can score, and they can score at mercy on you. So, look, okay, I didn't expect to win this game. I don't think Bears fans expected to win this game. I don't think at this point Bears fans wanted to win this game. And we're going to talk about draft position a little bit, but the hope was that Justin Fields in the offense could kind of put on a show for you and that they could score maybe 30 points and then, okay, go ahead, Detroit, score your 40-plus that you're probably going to score on our defense. I think that would have been perfectly acceptable. But this just did not happen. You got killed defensively. No surprise there. Lions could score. Defense isn't good. Jared Goff is at his best when he has time to throw and he finds his his open guys, he'll make those throws. The Bears don't get pressure. Very soft defense today. You had some uh, some moments with Jaquan Brisker where he just kind of got juked and cooked, and 
it wasn't necessarily big throws down the field. I mean, somewhere, but the, the play I'm really referencing to was one of the DeAndre Swift touchdown runs where the, he just completely got juked out of his ankles and it just did not look pretty. And the Lions were able to gain 500 plus yards on you and 41 points. Again, I did not expect anything to go much better defensively. That part of the game really doesn't bother me considering what's on the defense and what kind of a matchup this is. I mean, you got to give the Lions credit. That offense can score on pretty much anybody, especially at home, especially at home. If you would have told me that that's what happened before the game, hey, the defense is going to give up 41 points. They're going to give up 500 yards. I'd be like, yeah. Okay, but it was the offensive side of the ball that has us feeling really icky. And before I go any further, I want to reiterate the fact that my outlook on this whole plan in the grand scheme of things, on Justin Fields being our quarterback, on what this regime is trying to do, this wasn't an, like a path-altering game, in my opinion. It was a really shitty game and a real humble reminder on how much work this roster needs around Justin Fields because you did not get protection at all. He was sacked seven times today. He was constantly on the run trying to make things happen. The biggest play of the game for the Bears was a Justin Fields run. He had to take it into his own hands or his own legs in this this case. And you have a wide receiver core that isn't NFL caliber at this point. And Chase Claypool was targeted once and he dropped it. And you had several other drops. The Chase Claypool stuff, I've been a big defender of it. Sean's been a big defender of it. And I'm going to continue to hold my opinion, but I can see why people are frustrated at this point. I say, wait till next year. Let's see what happens. But even outside of the Chase Claypool stuff, I mean, your receivers are Dante Pettis, Equinemius St. Brown. Listen, they are 10 billion times better at football than I am. But when you're looking at top-tier NFL receiving talent that contenders have, it's nowhere near the likes of Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams, or Cooper Cup, or Justin Jefferson. I mean, it's not even in the same galaxy. Look at Amon Ross St. Brown on the Detroit Lions, and look how the Detroit Lions are able to just balance out their offensive attack, and look how they can protect their quarterback. Their line helps them out. Run game, the passing game. The Bears don't have an O-line to help do that. And once again... Tevin Jenkins leaves the game early and all hell just breaks loose. And, you know, the Lions are a team that, you know, it's not like they're racking up sacks among the tops in the NFL, but they had no trouble getting to Justin Fields today and either sacking him or chasing him around. It looked like a bunch of predators in their prey. It's like the Lions were playing with their food. It was rough to watch. Justin Fields did not have much chance to succeed today. I also do think that there were things that Justin Fields didn't succeed at doing. Protecting the ball on that fumble. Yeah, 
again, everything was breaking down, but that's a case where you have to protect that football when he fumbled it. That's, that's on Justin Fields. I think that both Justin Fields and the receivers can take responsibility for that final play of the half where he threw the interception. They were moving like molasses, and it wasn't a great throw by Fields. It was just a complete what-the-hell-was-that moment. Ugh. That was that was just something I had to blink twice at, and I was a little nervous when that happened because I'm like, oh, no, is he concussed? Because if you remember, he took that shot to the head, then went to the blue tent, then came back out. So I'm thinking, oh, man, is this like Tua? Uh, that made my stomach turn that hit. I was going, oh, God, no. Not because of the fumble, but because of the hit. So I don't know, but you can't really give any good grades to anybody today. When you lose 41 to 10 and you can't move the ball at all after the first quarter. Yeah, Justin Fields had another really nice run. He threw a touchdown pass to Cole Komet. That was cool. Justin Fields also setting up a field goal attempt. You get 10 points, and then you don't do anything the rest of the game. The Lions just trounce you. I mean, by the second quarter, it wasn't even a game anymore. It was more than obvious that you were going to lose that game. And that is where I started to have some real issues with the decisions that the Bears made. Matt Eberflus and his coaching staff kept Justin Fields out there the entire game. And I thought, what are you doing? I did not like the decision at all. Luckily, it's pretty much moot now because as far as we know, he's okay. You know, unless we hear something tomorrow or the next day or this week, something happened. But as far as we know, he's okay. But man, you were running Justin Fields out there down multiple scores while he's getting his bell rung play after play. You're three and 12 with nothing to play for with a JV team around him. I, I just, I didn't get why they didn't pull him in the second half. Hell, it was, if it was up to my meatball ass, I would have pulled him at halftime. Not because of performance, just to protect him. I didn't want to get killed out there anymore. And okay, I know Justin Fields doesn't want to come out. If he can play, he is going to want to play. That's not going to stop him from playing. But the coaches make the ultimate decisions. And I thought that they needed to take some precautionary steps to take him out. Matt Eberflus said he wanted the experience. But what experience, what good are you gaining from just going out there and continuing to get killed? If, if he needs more experience getting killed, doesn't he have enough of that already? I mean, honestly, what good was going to come from that? So at most you get a little bit of garbage time late. I just what no. I don't I don't agree with that. I don't think any gained experience is had when you're playing in a game like this. I thought that after halftime should have been the time to get him out of there. But you know, they didn't. And this is where we get into the final week of the season. The Bears will finish their season at Soldier Field next week against the Vikings. 
the Bears currently sit with the second overall pick at 3-13. and 13. Houston has the first pick, 2-13-1. The Bears control their own destiny by having at least the top two pick by losing next week. If they lose next week, they won't draft any higher or any lower than two. If they lose next week and Houston wins, then they get the grand prize of the draft. They obviously can't control Houston, but at the very least, if you lose next week, you will get the number two pick. Denver has four wins. Arizona has four wins. Indianapolis has four wins, but a tie. So worst case scenario for the Bears in terms of draft position. They win next week, go to four wins. And Denver and Arizona, no matter what, if they have four wins at the end of the season, they have the weaker strength of schedule. So they would pass the Bears if they all had four wins. If the Bears and Denver and Arizona all have four wins, then Denver and Arizona pass the Bears because of that strength of schedule. Now, of course, keep in mind, Denver's pick goes to Seattle. So Denver doesn't really have an incentive to tank. Arizona and Denver both almost won today. Close games. Arizona lost on a last-second field goal. Denver lost a close game to the Chiefs. If those two teams could have won today, if Denver and Arizona both had five wins, then the Bears wouldn't be able to tie with them, even if they won next week. So that would have pretty much clinched things for the Bears. Now, remember, Indianapolis, they have four wins, but they have a tie. So if the Bears and the Colts finish with four wins, Indianapolis will have a better winning percentage because of the tie. And that's why with Houston, even though the Bears beat them this year, they have that tie. So it's all the winning percentage on that end. But with Denver and Arizona, it would all be the same winning percentage. Then that's judged on strength of schedule. So, okay, just making that all clear. Lose next week, Bears will either get the second pick or the first pick, one of the two. Can't go three or four if they lose. So then we ask this question. Should they play Justin Fields next week? I don't think the Bears will sit Justin Fields. If he is good to play, they are going to let him play. But I, if it were up to me, I'd sit him. I would. I asked a poll on Twitter a few hours before I recorded this show. I asked, what should they do with Justin Fields next week? On, on their opinion, not what they think is going to happen, what they think they should do. Out of 84 votes, 81%. A vast majority of the fans voted sit him. Only 19% said play him. So small sample size, 84, but I think the ratio speaks for itself. 
Now, here's the thing. They are playing a Vikings team next week that has already clinched the NFC North, but today just got mollywopped by the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay. Because of that, and the 49ers winning, the 49ers moved up to the second overall seed. The Vikings are now the third seed. So there is still seeding to be had here. It's not like things are set in stone. If the Vikings win and the 49ers lose, then the Vikings can take that two seed back. So there is going to be something there. Right now, it says that next week's game, according to ESPN, is TBD between the Bears and the Vikings. So, you know, timing can obviously play a factor here. But even so, I think the Vikings are going to be playing for something. I I don't think that timing is going to, you know, if one team plays one time, one team plays another. But either way, I, I don't see the Vikings taking the foot off the gas next week is what I'm trying to say. So the 49ers, you know, they're a team that really is looking good with Brock Purdy. And I think that there is going to be a lot of Vikings wanting to redeem last week. So it's going to be interesting to see how both the Vikings and the 49ers play next week. So whether or not Justin Fields plays, I think that the chances of the Bears winning aren't great. If Justin Fields doesn't play, then I would almost say that they don't have any chance. If Justin Fields does play, it's obviously a slightly better chance, but I still think the money would be heavily towards the Vikings because the Vikings are a much better team than the Bears. Maybe a tad fraudulent. We could you know, get on that conversation, but they're still, like most teams, better than the Bears. Now, keep in mind with what I mentioned with the whole timing thing is that If they play at noon, in my opinion, that'd be best case scenario for the Bears. Frankly, just play at noon, get the whole thing over with. And I feel like this may sound kind of corny, but we've seen how Kirk Cousins plays in different scenarios. If he's playing a noon game, then I feel like the chances of him playing better against the Bears are going to be better. I know it it sounds silly and it sounds like a narrative, but that's just, that's kind of how I see it. I mean, the reality is right now, the Bears have to really get this top two pick. Today really reminded you what you need. And it's a shit ton. And if you get a top two pick, and you could trade back with a team that wants one of those quarterbacks whose stocks grew with these bowl games over this weekend. I mean, that's just, that's just best for them in the long run. I really think that this is more important than anything. So you win a meaningless game against the Vikings. Oh, ha ha. You're now the three seed. Ha ha ha. So what? Also, keep in mind, too, the 49ers are playing the Cardinals next week. So not only can the 49ers also win this, put pressure on the Vikings, but 
they're playing the Cardinals, a team that's right behind you in the draft standings. So that's pretty important. I don't see the 49ers taking the foot off the gas, obviously. They want that second seed. The Cardinals, if they lose and you win, then the Cardinals pass you in the standings for the, for the draft pick. So there, you know, there are things to keep an eye on. But, you know, again, if the Bears lose, then it doesn't really matter because they'll have that top two pick if they lose. So, you know, you just you go through the scenarios here and you just want to get that top pick. And I would just feel much better if Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles put their hands on Justin Fields' shoulders and said, hey, take a seat, get ready for 2023. And then just don't even worry about this last game. Nathan Peterman is starting next week. Then I don't think there's really a chance they win. And I don't think that there's really an incentive for any Bears fan to watch the game. Whether it's noon, 325, whatever. It's probably going to be a noon game. Like, let's let's be real. It's probably going to be a noon game because all these final weeks are listed as TBD. You know, obviously, if there was playoff implications for both teams, like there was in 2018 when the Bears had already clinched, but the, the Vikings were playing for that last seed, you know, that would obviously be different. That was flexed. I don't think this is going to be flexed. The Bears have three wins. Yeah, seeding is going to be affected, could be affected here for the Vikings, but they've already clinched the NFC North. It's probably going to be a new game. And I hope it is. Get it over with. Let Kirk Cousins cook at noon. Be done with it. Move on. That's what I'm hoping for. So. One more game. I am so ready for the season to be over. And watching Justin Fields has been fun and all, but I'm just really tired of going into each week being like, yay, go our quarterback, but I kind of hope we lose. We've lost nine games in a row. We haven't seen a losing streak like this. It's something that does not happen to this. It's many bad, mediocre seasons as we've had we haven't had the pain of enduring nine-game losing streaks. It doesn't hurt nearly as much when you're doing this by design and it's a rebuild, but it's still just not fun to endure. And I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm tired. I will take what we got from Justin Fields, and I'm ready to just be like, all right, Let's finish this up. Get me to the offseason. Get me to the drafts. Get me to free agency. Get me to camp. Let's see this roster flip because let's be real. When the target for the Bears being good comes, 70% plus of this roster is not going to be here. I think we all know that. You need a front seven. You need receivers around Darnell Mooney and Claypool at least next year. You need 
more on the offensive line. I still think you're pretty good in the secondary because we've seen them make plays. You see the growth of Kyler Gordon. I think Brisker is going to be very good. But when you don't get pressure on the quarterback like the Bears, you're not going to succeed defensively when you can't get any pressure on the quarterback. I mean, look at today. You don't, when they sacked Jared Goff twice, but, you know, two times for this Bears defense is a pretty big deal, honestly. You didn't think you'd say that a few years ago, but you barely touch the quarterbacks these days. And a quarterback like Jared Goff, he'll complete his passes when he doesn't have pressure on him. And he was able to roast you. That's that's what happens when you've got a good offensive line like the Lions and a defense that can't get any pressure on anybody. So I think that there's going to be a heavy focus on getting pass rush in addition with wide receiver and O-line because all of those need it. All those areas need it. And if you get that high pick and you trade back, then not only can you draft more guys, but maybe you use some of those picks you trade back and use them to trade for already NFL established assets. The possibilities are endless. So let's make it happen. So moving on, we are going to move to the basketball courts. And I want to talk about the Bulls a little bit, a team that is just really, really confusing and sometimes fun, many times frustrating. A team that knows how to beat Milwaukee and Boston and Miami. And then you lose to like the Rockets or you give up 150 to the Timberwolves. I mean, again, it's just the defense struggles so much with this team. And when you don't have the size that other teams do, you see things like what happened against Cleveland, a team that's more athletic and bigger than you that are getting second chances. The second chance points between the Cavaliers and the Bulls on New Year's Eve, it was so unbelievably lopsided. But is it really surprising when you're out-hustled and outsized the way the Bulls are? And when you don't have the three-point shooting like other teams do, then it's going to make for a roller coaster. The Bulls won a great game against the Bucs the other night. They were down with a few minutes to go. They come back, force overtime, and they win in overtime. That was a great win after you lost at home to the Rockets. And then you lose a really frustrating game to the Cavaliers. DeMar should have been fouled on that last shot, but it was also kind of a miracle the Bulls were in a position to win that game with all the second-chance points the Cavaliers scored, some of the just scoring droughts you saw from the Bulls. I mean, it felt like there was a point where it looked like Cleveland was going to run away, but you had rallied and almost came back. And you don't really have losses to spare at this point if you want to salvage anything from this season. If you have any chance, there's really very little room for error. And losing those types of games are really, really tough. Just a roller coaster of emotions. And I think that one of the issues that you see with the Bulls is that you don't always know what you're going to get from certain players on a nightly basis. You don't know what you're going to get from Patrick Williams all the time. 
Zach Levine is, you know, it's been a roller coaster from him. He had an amazing game against the Detroit Pistons. Season uh, high in points. He was just hitting everything he was throwing up. And then, you know, the game against the Cavaliers, not as good. And we saw some really not so good games from Zach Levine earlier in the season. Whether or not it was physical ailments that were really bugging him or not, you know, that's obviously up for debate. But it's just the lack of consistency makes things really tough. And I hope that they can find some sort of consistency here because that's going to be your only chance to make a run at a playoff spot. As I said, there's very little room for error with the Bulls. I will give a few nods in a good way to a few things on this Bulls team is, you know, I, I, I like the way that Kobe White has been playing lately. I think he's looked pretty solid over his past few games. He's hitting threes off the bench. That's what you want to see from him. I got to give him some credit there. Um, you know, De- DeMar DeRozan is, is is a guy who I really, really like. And I think other people have said this, and I'll echo this too. As good as he is, I, I wish he was more of a frequent three-point shooter. I mean, it's unfortunate you have to turn to him and try to say that, but the reality is you don't have the three-point shooting that other teams have. And he's a good shooter. And some of those long twos could turn into three-pointers, I think, with the way he can play. But it, it, it is not his game, traditionally not his game. I just think that it could be part of his game. You know, maybe other people feel differently. I just, I feel like it could. The reality is the Bulls have been just so frustrating at times that it makes you want to scream. And then they show you those glimpses of hope. Oh, you won a good game against the Bucks. You had a little bit of a win streak there. Here's Zach Levine going off against the Pistons. And even though the Pistons aren't good yet, the fact that you're seeing him have games like that again, you're like, oh, look at that. Look at that. And then you lose some bad games. That's just what really stinks. I don't really know how the Bulls can improve this season because you don't really have anything to trade unless you swap guy for guy. I, I, I am not nearly as well-versed in the NBA as other people who listen to the show, who've been on this show, who might have some ideas. I, I just, it's like this team that you have is the team that you're going to get through the year because let's be real. Lonzo Ball's not coming back. I don't see how he comes back. And he's such an important piece of this team, but I mean, everything you hear about his chances of coming back, even if some Bulls personnel be like, oh yeah, we're hopefully, we know it's not looking, not looking all that great. We know it's not. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that don't want this to be another, myself included, that don't want this to be another Gar Pax situation because at times it's felt like it. You're not bad enough to tank. And I mean, you made trades, so 
your first round pick is protected. So unless you get a really high draft pick, you're not getting that pick anyway, but you're not good enough to be a legit championship winner. And that is where you don't like being. And this is where it kind of feels like we are. Even last year when you had a good record and you were once the top seed in the East and then, you know, reality struck back a little bit, but then you got killed in the playoffs and you kind of knew, even though you tried to be optimistic, you kind of knew that you weren't built to beat a team of that caliber in the postseason. Sure, you can beat the Bucks and the Celtics in the regular season, but when it comes to playoffs in the NBA, the talent usually triumphs. You know, it's not like the crapshoot of baseball where the Phillies get in as a wild card and they win the pennant. I mean, that's happened many times for baseball or football, like the New York Giants in 2011. You know, those things happen. But in basketball, in the NBA, top talent usually prevails. So... This is not a situation that I really wanted to be in. This was a situation that we wanted to get away with. And it feels like we're back in it. And it's, it's just frustrating. It really, really is. You know, it's like with the Bears, at least we're like, you know what? We have a quarterback and we could still technically get the first overall pick if not we control our destiny by losing, by getting a top two pick at least. Here, it's not quite like that. And you don't have the cap space and the assets like the Bears have in their situation. That's what makes it so difficult. And that's why you hear people pining for sell-offs because it's like, well, if you're not good enough to win a championship, but you're not you know, bad enough where you can retool and completely rebuild in a short time, then what the hell do you do? Do you really want to be mired in the middle for years to come? That's where the challenge of all this comes. We'll see what happens over the next few months. There was one thing more that I want to talk about when it comes to something Bulls related. And this was something that some people brought up to me that they wanted me to talk about. Grayson Allen, Milwaukee Bucks, very own Grayson Allen. We saw what happened the other night with DeMar DeRozan on the court at the United Center against the Bucks. Falling back, little extra, hitting DeRozan. The play itself, taking away who it was, just the context of what actually happened. Was it like dirty, disgusting? No, I don't think so. But it was extra. And if that happened to, if it was just some random guy that is just, you know, just a player, a dude, and it happened once, you probably forget about it. You just say, hey, you know, here the moment, a little extra happened, no big deal, whatever, fine. But this was Grayson Allen, a guy with a long history a long, long history going back to Duke of doing shit like this. 
he is a guy that does not deserve any of the benefit of the doubt when it comes to this stuff. Even if what he did extra wasn't nearly as bad as some of the other disgusting stuff that he's did. This wasn't a disgusting play, but it was extra. And as usual, you know, throw up the hands. Oh, what did I do? You know, because he knows he can just keep getting away with it. And that's kind of what Stacy and Adam Amin alluded to is that this keeps happening with him. And nobody's really taught him a lesson. If he were to play in the 90s against like, or the early 2000s with like Ron Artest and, you know, Rodman, (laughs) he wouldn't be getting away with that. But he continues to do this stuff. And it just, you know, things move on. It just continues to happen. And I think that there's just... There's just no reason, no reason that teams can't start being like, you know what, let's, let's not accept this. And yeah, you know, there was a little bit of an altercation in the middle of the court, and then it just kind of dispersed. I don't want anyone to go out and badly injure anybody. I don't want anyone to get injured, period. But I think hard fouls to kind of send a message. Uh, yeah, I, I could see why someone would want that. I mean, and he's got a history with the Bulls. What he did last year with Alex Caruso, not even checking to see if he was okay, joking around along the bench afterwards for the whole world to see. After all the shit he's pulled off before in Summer League, at Duke, all those times at Duke. It's like, just enough of this dude already. So just sick of him. And that's why people are overreacting to something that on the surface doesn't seem that bad. It's because it was him. Because he has to do this kind of stuff. I don't know why he has to play this way. I really don't. He is a very talented guy. You know, there's a reason he was on Duke and was a leader of the team on Duke. And there's a reason he's in the NBA. He's not just some bum enforcer. He's a talented guy. He doesn't have to do this stuff, and yet he does. Just enough. He's a a villain that you don't respect. There are villains that you can respect. He's a villain we don't respect by any means. And that's all I really wanted to say about that. I'm, I'm just sick of Grayson Allen's crap. And just the, the, the smug look he has. And, you know, he's, he's, like, he's like that spoiled rich kid that can just, you know, get away with stuff. And that's, uh, that, that's again, I, I'm done talking about that now. That's just really what I wanted to mention on that whole thing. So... That's where we are with the Bulls. The Blackhawks, they're tanking. They stink. I don't really have much to say there. There's your Blackhawks talking right now. Last few thoughts. We'll go over to baseball. Uh, one thing to note is that the Cubs relates to Eric Hosmer, and that was done by, I believe it was John Heyman. They mentioned that the Cubs are showing interest in Eric Hosmer 
Eric Hosmer was cleared waivers. He would not cost anything. The Padres would still have to pay that massive contract they gave him. Eric Hosmer and the Cubs would not be a financial commitment. But does it really move the needle on the roster? That's all I really care about. And I don't think it really moves anything forward or back. Eric Hosmer was once a pretty darn good player. He was an all-star one year. He could hit 20-plus home runs. He was once the guy that you thought would really be helpful for the Cubs now. Lefty power bat. He doesn't really have that power anymore. He hasn't hit 20-plus home runs in several years now. A lot of ground balls. It's like we moved on from Jason Hayward. Do we want another Jason Hayward? But if you look last year, him and Trey Mancini both had the same WRC plus 104. Trey Mancini has the power. Eric Hosmer is more of the respectable batting average OBP. Like his OBP last year was 334. That's not bad at all. That's technically above average. So if you were to get Eric Hosmer, you would say, all right, well, here's a guy that's going to make some contact and get on base at a pretty solid clip, hit for a respectable average, but you're just not going to get that power production, not that run production. And there's really no options left that are good defensively. So whether you went with uh, Mancini or Hosmer, you're not really getting anything in terms of defense there. So that's kind of just whatever, but yeah, Eric Hosmer just, would he fill a roster need? Sure. We don't know exactly where Matt Mervis is going to be on opening day yet. And if you don't have Matt Mervis there, then your next first baseman is either going to be Cody Bellinger, Patrick Wisdom. And I'd rather have Cody Bellinger in center. I'd rather have Patrick Wisdom at most as a bench guy. Maybe a platoon at third with Morrell. I'm cool with that. But you wouldn't really have a solidified first baseman. At least Eric Hosmer would give you that. And if Mervis comes up and you have a guy like Hosmer, DH first base. You kind of play it with those two. So, meh. Meh is all I really got to say on that front. We'll see what happens. I feel like the chances of getting Hosmer are pretty solid. I feel like there's enough out there to show that there's a decent number of interest. I think that there's going to be one or two more moves by the Cubs, and that could be one of them. It's not going to be anything big, obviously. The big free agents are all but gone, and unless they pull off a big trade or something, it's going to be something like a Hosmer signing or a Mancini signing or hopefully not a Don Smith signing, but maybe you bring in another arm. Maybe you bring in just another reclamation project somewhere. But I think you pretty much have your team in place in terms of position players. There's obviously some fringe. Like I said, we'll see what happens with Mervis. Maybe a few other guys, but your catchers are going to be Jan Gomes, Tucker Barnhart. Second baseman is going to be Nico. Shortstop's going to be Dansby. Third is probably going to be a platoon of Wisdom and Morrell. Left field, Ian Happ. Center field, Cody Bellinger. Right field, Saya Suzuki. 
And then if you get Eric Cosmer, you have him as your first baseman. And if you don't get Eric Cosmer, first base could be Mervis or Patrick Wisdom. That's pretty much what you're looking at right now. I would really like to see, I, I, I would have liked to see the Cubs get another better bat by now. He's risky, but I would have liked Michael Conforto. I know not everyone agrees. I, again, I, I understand the risk, but I would have taken that risk. Lefty power bat, he'd be your DH. I would have been completely cool with that. Didn't get him. There are obviously guys we talked about before. I wanted Jose Abreu. We didn't get him. I wanted Vasquez, the catcher. We didn't get him. Omar Narvaez is another catching option I could have taken. We didn't get him. I was interested to see if they were going to go in on Corey Kluber, but he's going elsewhere now. I was also hoping that maybe Trey Mancini would be the guy. It's still possible. I heard a rumor that the Nationals were talking to him. I don't know how legit that is, but I feel like based on what we're hearing, I feel like Hosmer is more likely. We'll see for sure that may or may not play out the way we think. But if I were a betting man, if I had to bet on the the Cubs getting either Hosmer or Mancini, right now I'd probably be leaning towards Hosmer. Not saying that's the move I would make. I'm just saying in terms of what I think they're going to do. But we're going to have to see. And with the White Sox, you haven't really heard much. I know that they're looking at internal options for second base. I thought a really good fit for the White Sox would have been Gene Segura, but he is going to Miami. So now the question is, do they get one more arm for their rotation? Do they go out and get one more bat somewhere, like a bench platoon bat to plug in anywhere? I don't know. I mean, they made the one big move in Ben Attendee. You brought in Clevenger as a pitcher. Those are really the two moves of the White Sox offseason that are noteworthy. I still am not totally sure they're going to trade Liam Hendricks. Time will tell. But right now, going into the offseason, I thought the chance was pretty good. Right now, I'm not thinking as much. But, you know, it still could happen. It is still possible. I do feel like, again, I could be wrong, but if I were a betting man, I would probably look at this White Sox roster as it is right now and guess, yeah, this is probably going to be what the team is going to look like come opening day. And pitchers and catchers report in a little less than two months. So... If you're tired of the cold and dreary Chicago sports landscape it is now, like the Blackhawks just losing 5-2 to two, and the Bears getting killed, Happy New Year, by the way, 2023. <laughs> two blowout losses for Chicago. But if you're tired of it, you can look forward to spring training, I guess. It's going to be here before we know it. And folks, I think with that, that is going to do it for this episode of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. I want to thank everybody for listening. Please hit subscribe if you have not. Check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or YouTube. Go to SwirskySports.com. Check out some of this stuff there. Also, be sure to check us out on Twitter, at Swirsky Sports. I'm Alex Pat, at ShyFanPat2 on Twitter. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next week.
wants the Cubs to win. We thank Ditka and God for all they have provided. Cubs win. Cubs win. Cubs win. You can have her, she's a Packer fan She can't fit in my van And she looks like Remember New Yorkers, smoking crack is not legal on planes Bears, 31, the negative 7 The Bears Oh, when the Bears go bearing